Welcome to the Valley Beit Midrash podcast, a program of Valley Beit Midrash, a global center of learning and action. We're bringing you the best in diverse, pluralistic Jewish wisdom, all with the goal of improving lives in our global community. I'm Rabbi Shmuley Yanklowitz. Let's get started. Shalom, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today for Introduction to Dreams and Kabbalah with Dr. David Sanders. And I want to thank our co-sponsors for today's event, BMHBJ in Denver, and welcome Rabbi Chaitovsky to introduce today's guest speaker. Thank you very much, Alex. Welcome, everyone. I'm delighted to have um, uh, a good friend and a colleague of mine, Dr. David Sanders, the founder and spiritual director of the Kabbalah Experience here in Denver, who has spent over 30 years um, as both a psychologist and a Kabbalist, helping guide people to a deeper awareness and fulfillment in their lives. Uh, he takes a transformative Kabbalah approach, combining traditional mysticism, psychology, and quantum physics. It is David Sanders' joy to help others challenge their views of themselves and of the world. And through study and practice, students regularly change their perceptions and choose to alter or modify their behavior, leading in turn to positive change in their relationships, community, and finding greater and more fulfilling expression of their life's purpose. He is an author of two books, is currently writing a book on masks and maintains an active therapy practice and he sees psychological and spiritual growth as a continuum of learning and becoming more aware of the self and others. It is my pleasure to turn the podium over to Dr. Sanders, who is going to talk to us today about dreams and Kabbalah. Uh, Rabbi Chai Tufsky, we, we, we affectionately call him here in Denver, Rabbi Chai. Um, so a pleasure. I didn't know you were going to, you were going to be here and introduce and that BMH BJ is a sponsor. So wonderful. Synchronicities are always at the center of our Kabbalah study and also our dreams. So this is going to be just an introduction um to how we look at dreams from a a long-standing tradition uh of kabbalah um the hebrew word by the way for dream is halom halom halamti i have dreamt a dream the mahu and i don't know what it is it's a prayer we actually say traditionally when the priests, the Kohanim, are blessing the congregation. Under our breath, silently, we recount and remember the dreams that we've had, and we ask for guidance, for healing of the dreams. Um, so I was introduced to the importance of dreams through this prayer maybe when I was four or five years old, standing on, under my father's talit, um, because there's a tradition also not to look directly at the hands 
of the Kohanim as they bless the people. Um, there's, a, there's a whole teaching around the, the reason why Kohanim, the priests, were in particular kind of um, safeguarders of dreams and, and dream interpretation. And that's because the priests themselves were the purveyors of the unconscious. And maybe from a Kabbalistic point of view, also the superconscious. How do we know this? How do we know that that's the function of the Kohen, of the priest? Just like in other traditions, there are shamans. The, the priest was the one who people came to to confess their sins, their, their misdeeds, whether ones that were done on purpose or accidentally. And there was this notion then that they were the purveyors of the people's unconscious processes that were that also found their way into dreams as well. So we have a very rich tradition of our relationship to dreams. I said the word is chalom, and the word chalom actually is cognate to the idea of a word of halam, which means to heal. So dreams are often seen as a vehicle into which we are going to be able to heal certain of the challenges or fractures in our life. Now, the only other thing that I am at a little bit of a loss here is, because I'm on a small screen, I don't see all of you. I do actually recognize some of you from the neighborhood, which means Colorado. Um, and the way that I like to teach is interactional, which means that I would like you to be participants, um, reading the, reading some of the texts, um, telling us what you think about them, asking questions as we go along. And um, instead of reserving time at the end for questions, although we certainly will reserve a little time at the end, I'm happy to have you be as active participants in this learning and, and uh, as we go along. I do recognize you, Rabbi Gilbert. So if you could read this first simple slide for us from the Zohar. A dream not interpreted is like a letter not read. Clearly right then and there we have the statement by the classic Kabbalistic text, Zohar, which means the book of illumination, uh, the book of radiance. It's a book that was composed in Spain in the late 13th century. And I've always found this quote fascinating because one of my dream teachers um, studied with his teacher, who was a former postal worker. Um, postal worker then became the dream, the dream interpreter. So I, I love the fact that the Zohar starts up with, it's a dream not interpreted is like a letter not read. All right. Um, we'll, we'll get into that uh, discussion a little later. Um, 
you do realize, of course, that you dream every night. You, if you were in class with me here, I'd have people raise their hands and say, how many people remember their dreams? Um, that's usually a smaller percentage of people than people who obviously dream every night. We're all dreaming, but we have to train ourselves to remember our dreams. And for some people, it comes naturally. And um, I have many, many students at, at Kabbalah who um, keep dream journals and have done so for years. And they have um, written all their dreams down. It's, it's a little easier nowadays because if you wake up in the middle of the night or in the, in the early morning, you can quickly dictate a dream onto your phone, um, but then go back and write it up uh, as a fuller, fuller remembrance of the dream. If you don't practice this, um, it's rare that you can hold on to a dream once you enter the waking state. Sometimes you'll have a little fragment of it. All right, so um, Michael, Hassoy, I see you there. Michael, I just wanted to give an introduction. Uh, by the way, I believe that in, in back of Michael's head is a complete edition of the Zohar, uh, the translation by Danny Matt. So nice to see that that's part of your collection. Um, but if you could read this piece, which I don't know if you have this book, um, the the... This th this author is a mystic from Germany, actually in the century before the author of the Zohar, Rabbi Jacob of Regens Regensburg, and he's writing a book called Sefer Hasidim. Go ahead, Michael. The experience in a dream is like that of one who newly arrives among a people whose tongue is incomprehensible. Seeing their words are too nigh avail, they gesticulate to him as one signs to the deaf, deaf. Such are the visions and metaphors of a dream. The discerning will know what he is shown and why and the significance of each thing. Okay. All right, wonderful. Um, so what are any quick comments from anybody, and again, I cannot, I apologize, but I can't see all of you on the screen. I'm scrolling down to see if anyone's raising their hand. But um, what does this piece from Sefer Hasidim bring up for any of you? Mike, welcome. So thank you very much uh, for giving this presentation. Um, I am a relative newcomer to uh, Valley Bay Midrash. Um, I have been uh, diving into union psychology for the last three years, and it's really opened me up. I'm an analytical person by nature. Um, the dreams, I, I dream, I think just like everybody else, I dream every night, almost every night. I probably record two or three dreams a week. And um, they feel, when I first started to work with them, I found that they seemed very foreign to me, and I was very frightened by many of them. And, I, you know, my feeling is that if you, um, the process of working through a dream, uh, 
uh, maybe the magic is really about what it does end up meaning to you, metaphorically. That there might be a message within the dream itself, but maybe what matters more is how you're responding to the dream and how you're putting that into the context of your life or uh, what unions would call the collective unconscious. So it's a different language for sure. And I think probably greatly undervalued in my experience. Um, it's wonderful. I actually was able to scroll down and see you as you spoke. So thank you for <laughs> thank you for that input. Um, I have in my office uh, a really incredible book by Carl Jung called The Red Book, mm. um, in which he was at pains to not just record all his dreams, but he was he was actually a, a, an amazing artist. Mm-hmm. And he drew, and he drew images that were there from the dreams. Um, so both Freud, of course, who pioneered things with his interpretation of dreams in 1900, and then later Carl Jung, who really delved into his own dreams. Freud, Freud also talked about his own dreams. Um, but you know, we have precursors to this in many traditions, including in our biblical narrative. We've got plenty of dreams that are reported in the book of Genesis. Um, in fact, we had we just finished the whole sequence of them with Jacob and Joseph and uh, their interpretation of dreams. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, Bev A also had a raised hand if you want to oh, take I'm sorry. that too. Yeah, I, w- I would love to. But And Bev, go ahead. Thank you very much. I know that in the past when I was much younger, I would... Uh, have lots of dreams that I recalled. Uh, I seem to, in the last two or three years, since I've been on a more spiritual path, I have less memory of the dreams. But what tends to happen sometimes in meditation is that sense or feeling or that strange place comes up. uh, And I just let it be. But... um, My experience in the past was that when I would have, um, I had a repetitive nightmare for many, many years. And once I realized in therapy what it represented, then I never had the dream again. Mm. So I know that dreams are trying to teach me, uh, but I don't seem to get the lesson a lot. So I'm just wondering about not recalling dreams, if that's um, a part of the path of not remembering or whether I need to make an effort now to do so? I'm not going to say to you it's a rhetorical question. There may be some dreams that we don't remember because we're not yet ready to really receive the full message of the dream. And then there are dreams that come through and sometimes they come through in snippets, right? We We don't necessarily see the whole thing. But one of the things you can also, and I would encourage all of you to do if you're interested in this in this exploration of dreams, is that when you go to sleep, you actually have an intention to not only have the dreams, but remember them. There are scientists and artists who go to sleep with an intention of solving a problem, of coming up with a new lyric. Um, it's amazing what our how our brain can still function even when it's asleep, because it's not really asleep. It's still it's still 
it's still processing lots and lots of things, including in a way, a far greater creativity in some way. We we wind up doing things in dreams that we could we could not even physically do in our waking lives. And yet in the dream world, we're able to fly, to visit places, to go back in time. Um, you know, so there are really um amazing creative things that occur in dreams. And yes, uh, Mike, was that your name, Mike? Before? To Mike's mm -hmm. point, you know, I, I included this next piece, which is by a contemporary person. So, Mike, if you could read the next slide, it's by Alexander Nemser. I have this uncanny sense that the dream often knows more about me than I am comfortable with it knowing. Sometimes I have a feeling of shame being that way. And at other times, I have a deep appreciation for the care of this deep intelligence, the intelligence of the imagination that can see me with this clarity and tell it to me like it is, almost like a counselor or a strange kind of ancient mentor. I just love the way that Alexander put these words together about the the dream conveying something to us, right? It, in a way, we could argue we'll, we'll see we'll see different levels of dreams in in the Kabbalistic framework, but if we just for the moment think of the dream as you know you me speaking to ourselves, right? It's 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 a a story that is being conveyed to us. And, and, and of course, as Freud pointed out and many others, we're dreaming about the residue of the day. You know, we might have seen something or heard something. It, it could have been disturbing. It could have been joyful. It could have reminded us of somebody. And then all of a sudden, we can be thinking, why did that show up in my dream? And yet we could sometimes reconstruct and understand why something did show up in our dream because of something that had happened in our wake on our awakened life. Right. But I just love the way he says, um, you know, we what I, what I would add is it's important to establish a relationship with your dreams. Right. You know, actually, uh, we're not anthropomorphizing the dream, but we're just saying that the dream holds a lot of really um, important information for us that we are trying to process. Any comments or questions up to this point? I would like to share with you now a dream of somebody that really highlights how, how powerful and Kabbalah is also very interested in how prophetic dreams can be. Now, when we say prophetic, we mean that the dream is not just reflective of things that have happened in our past or in our current day, but actually like the, the more, the, the more colloquial way that we talk about dreaming, like a vision for the future. Lena. Hi, it's Lina. It's my nickname. Um, for Caroline. So, oh, hi, Caroline. Hi, see you, David. Um, I just am so excited to be here. I got this kind of last minute and jumped in. Um, 
I was just thinking about how with Jung, you know, he talked about how dreams are compensatory from kind of like things that were not our ego self, small ego isn't really willing or able to see sometimes. And so this, mm -hmm. this sense that there's something deeper that can communicate with us when our ego is kind of shut down when we're sleeping um, resonates with this quote for me, kind of in the same way that synchronicities occur in life um, to show us things that we need to see that we can't always see on our own with our, with our small self's eyes. Yes. Um, before we head on to the, th uh, I'm sorry, there was one other person. So thank you, Lena or Lina or Carolina. I had, I was just, this was triggered by the last statement that you said, I read yeah. a book and I was really struck by some, a theme in the book where it appeared that the person was not listening to their intuition. And I had a discussion with my husband about it. I said, I don't even know if this person even is aware he has any intuition. So I have a dream and I wake up in the morning and it's like, I'm supposed to teach this guy about intuition. And that's not something I do, but I am going to write him an offer because, you know, he's this multimillionaire who super, like not like a household name, but only in certain businesses. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to take the thing of the dream and go for it because he does things that get him hurt like a lot emotionally because he he's a doer and he just sort of jumps. And I mm -hmm. thought, okay, if you just ask, should I, that could do a lot. But anyway, I just thought I'm going to take the message and just go for it and offer even though that's not something i do i thought i can learn because i'm being asked to i dreamt that i i was teaching him that and i thought well okay maybe i'm what i'm supposed to do so that seemed would, like a direct like thing. that's 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 wonderful by the way it, when i when i teach a class and i will be teaching a class on dreams this semester uh we start we start classes in the middle of january cabal experience um we sometimes people have dreams about each other in the class and sometimes the dreams are actually even connected to each other but since <laughs> your last name is simon i would say simon says um so so definitely definitely convey things that would be good now, now would, I see, will you let us know how we can sign up for your class before you get off um sure and is it is it on zoom too so that those yes. of us not in colorado Okay, thank it's you. On, it's on Zoom. Uh, it, 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 all the classes are, are hybrid. So we have people in class, in person, and on Zoom as well. Okay, great. From, all, from all across the country and even worldwide. Catherine? I just wanted to know, you said that people, uh, when they go to sleep, have an intention to remember or solve something. Can yes. that work another way? Because twice in my life, I've had what you would probably call or I called a dream, but I knew it wasn't a dream. It was my mother coming to tell me something. And then during the pandemic, my brother coming to tell me he had passed. Okay. So it wasn't a dream. I don't know what that is, but it was like I didn't have the intention. It appeared they had the intention. So... <laughs> Is that included in your 
explanation. Yeah. We're gonna if you if you hold on, we'll get to that in a, in a few minutes. I just want to clarify that I wasn't saying that you have to go to sleep with an intention. I was just saying that if you if you're a person who says I I, I don't really I don't think I dream or I I don't remember my dreams then that's really important to, you know, before you go to sleep to have an intention. There's also good sleep habits for having intentions and et cetera. All right. So listen, I, I just want to get to a few more things and then I'll, I will definitely leave room at the end for some questions. Um, but I want to, I want to continue because I want to respond to some of the things that have already been said. Um, all right, I'm going to sacrifice my telling uh, my telling you one of the dreams that I had early on in uh, when I was in psychoanalysis. It's a, it's a great story, but I'll reserve that at the, at the end if we have time. Um, but let's take a look at a text here. Ken, you've been right you've been right on my screen here the whole time. That's in Ken Vogel. Would you mind reading this starting off, starting off? So we have three pieces to read. It's a it's a little bit of a longer dream, but it's worth it. Sure. The story of the historical exodus. Um, one second, one second. It should it should be one of the presents I received. Okay. Yes. Are, we, are we there now? I'm here now. Perfect. Uh, one of the presents I received from my bar mitzvah was a book of Jewish legends. I read it in about it. I read in it about the coming of the Messiah whose arrival is awaited daily by many Jews, even in this generation. And he comes as a pauper riding on a donkey. The words of the legend I read were fragmentary, and in many places I could not understand their meaning. It seemed to me that something was missing. But even those fragments of the Messiah legend kindled my imagination. My heart filled with pain and longings. One night, as I was going to sleep, I remembered the story of the exodus from Egypt. The story of the historical exodus and the legend of the future redemption, which will be brought about by the Messiah, became confused in my mind. The past and the future all became for me one beautiful magic legend. And in my mind, the idea took shape of writing a poem about the Messiah. For several nights, this thought kept me awake. I was ashamed to tell anybody. I knew they would mock me saying, behold, the man of dreams. The days of examinations in school arrived and diverted my thoughts from the suffering of the Messiah. But in the depth of my soul, it seems, the legend continued to expand, though I was unaware of it. One night I had a wonderful dream. The Messiah came and he was old and glorious. He lifted me in his arms and he soared with me on the wings of the wind. On one of the clouds full of splendor, we met Moses, and the Messiah called to Moses, for this child I have prayed. Then he turned to me, go and announce to the Jews that I will come, soon come and perform great miracles for my people and for the whole world. I woke up and it was a dream. I kept this dream a secret and did not dare tell anybody. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so I've left off who the author of this piece is. Who was this little boy, this bar mitzvah boy, 
who had this dream? Does anyone want to guess? I don't know, but it's pretty incredible. Yes, I was struck by the power. It was you. It was you. (laughs) Uh, Right. Yeah. No, it was was not me. (laughs) Was it David Brooks? Well, well, that's an interesting guess. Wow. Um, (laughs) I I love David Brooks. But um, uh, this one goes way a little further back in history. Mm -hmm. So to break the suspense here, um, this the author of this dream is none other than Theodore Herzl. Oh, now, wow. I'm hoping that that's a name that you're all familiar with. I was um, going to say it, Theodore Herzl. You were. Why did Who's, I know it? Who is speaking I, that? It's Catherine. As soon as I, re- I he read it, I thought Theodore Herzl. Well, Catherine, you may, have an, you, you may have an interesting dream tonight. Who knows? Um, but why why do I want to present this particular dream? Because it has a few elements that I think are so important for us to understand. Mystical. Um, and it ties in actually to something that um, Linus said before, which is that if we can maybe get out of our small egos and actually begin to see what the dream message is for us, like who we could be. So I saw it's so powerful to me. Here, Theodore Herzl is having at age 13 a, a dream about the Messiah talking about him. For this child I have prayed. And many years later, of course, Herzl would be instrumental in the eventual establishment of the state of Israel, a homeland for the Jews in Pal- and at the, at, in those days called Palestine. It's also, notice how he says at the very end, I kept this dream a secret and did not dare tell anybody. I've had so many students tell me things in class like, and this is not necessarily in the dream class, in, in other classes where they'll say, I had a premonition or I had a dream. I've never told, I've never shared that with anybody. It's interesting. Sometimes we're a little wary of sharing our spiritual selves. Um, the, the connection that we have in a way to a higher consciousness and, and greater awareness. All right. So um, let's go to the next slide. And this is now where we're going to learn a little um, Kabbalah, um, because what Kabbalah interestingly proposes is that a simple concept called soul becomes a little more complicated. It's actually different levels of soul that we have. And I want to highlight that these levels of soul and it doesn't. We we actually teach this in another class, but I wanted I wanted you to become at least familiar with this, in a way that, you know, hopefully this gives you a little template. And it also refers to uh, one of the levels refers to the the visitation of people souls from another era, people who have died 
but come back in dreams and actually have conversations with us. The column on the left, Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chaya, and Yechida, are the five levels of soul. Nefesh being the animated soul. Kabbalah suggests that there's a soul in everything. Not just animated like movement, but even a stone has a soul because it's animated. There's huge energy that's going on in the stone and movement internally. We may not see it as moving, but it is moving. All, all inanimate objects are, are also animated in their own way. So everyone, all, all of reality, all of created reality has this level called nefesh. The level above that is called ruach, which literally means wind or spirit. And that is what is linked with the emotional soul. This is typically thought of as connecting animals, plants. We've now learned a lot about the ruach level, the emotional souls of trees and plants and how they communicate with each other and feel. And the same is true, of course, of animals as well. Humans, of course, have a ruach as well because we're, we're also coming from that world, the animal world, um, and we have our emotions as well. Neshama is a level of soul that is specified as human and, it, and it's actually connected to the intellectual side of things and it has to do with our particular guidance and mission of who we are. It's connected also to our names. Um, the word, the Hebrew word for name is in, embedded in the word neshama, shame is part of neshama and um, uh, that's a level of soul that we have in common with all humans. The next level, Chaya, which literally means life, um, is connected to our communal connections. Some might also call these archetypal, but the communal connections include what one of the um, previous people said, was our, our relationship to souls that have come back to communicate with us in the present. And um, there's, even, there's even a tradition that sometimes future souls can come and have communion with us in our dreams. Um, <clears throat> and finally, there is Yechida, which means the singularity of and uniqueness of the soul. And yet, even though it's singular, the way that it's talked about is it's like the, the single drop of water in the ocean. So each one has its own definition, delineation, its uniqueness, but it is also part of a whole. And these are dreams where we are already having what a lot of people might call a mystical experience. Um, I've had a number of these dreams, um, but I've also had this experience in waking life as well, where we have, and during meditation, where we're feeling 
connected in a much deeper and expansive way with a deeper and expansive aspect of ourselves or or the connection with it all. Uh, people who are now um, for the last number of years in the renaissance of psychedelics um, are also reporting these kinds of Yechida experiences, these dreams of interconnectedness with the whole. So this is, and by the way, the, um, the column on the right comes from a different tradition, but it's it's very interesting to see the the parallels between the Kabbalistic levels and applying those to dreams and the levels of what are talked about as etheric, astral, mental, and spiritual. I just noticed uh, Ricky has a hand up. Go ahead, Ricky. Hi, I'm in Melbourne, so I've got my camera off. It's early. Um, it's actually the question I had before. Um, I'm from the US, but also from Africa, so the accent. Um, so I had a dream um, very recently, mm -hmm. and I do keep journals of my dreams, and I'm in analysis right now, Jungian analysis, and studying Kabbalah. And the dream was like one I've never had before, and it was um, so real. It, was, it wasn't even a dream. It was an actual experience. And it, I hope maybe it'll be addressed more in possibly your coming class um, because I, I know how I felt afterwards and even during the dream. It wasn't a dream. <laughs> and I came out knowing it wasn't a dream, but I couldn't put a word. Like there's, I haven't had an understanding of it. So you've touched on it, mm. and I appreciate it. And hopefully in the class it can be explored because I, from the sounds of it, it would be a spiritual dream. I, and, and again, I'm not sure. So I hope maybe that'll be addressed because it was just something I've not had before. Not prophetic, maybe prophetic. I don't know. Anyway, I've right. said enough. Thank you. I'd love to hear what you have to thank say. You. Thank, thank you very much. And Felix, I did catch, I, I, I've seen that there's a lot of chats, but I, I can't, I can't pay attention. I apologize. But, I saw Felix's because it came up on my screen. He mentioned the word vivid dreams. There are very vivid dreams. And there's also something called lucid dreams, which I would recommend, Ricky, you to take a look at. Because sometimes I lucid have. dreams. Okay, I have. Sometimes... Now, my dreaming thing has been going on for many, many, many years. So Wonderful. I've explored it. And so here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. But it's beyond anything I've ever had. So that's <laughs> kind of why. It was, I okay. wanted to. I do want you to know also, and we talk about this in one of our classes of dreams. Um, there were many Kabbalists and Hasidic masters who kept dream journals, and we have them. And they're fascinating. Uh, Rebbe Nachman, for instance, who was the great grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, kept a dream journal. And what's most remarkable is. He published it. He shared it, just like Carl Jung. And I want you to know, presenting dreams sometimes is a very vulnerable act, um, especially when people will present a dream and say, 
well, I don't really know what that means. And by the way, we, we take an approach in our class of one of curiosity, right? If you've had a dream, it really is to help the person, the dreamer, be curious about the content of their dream. And for them to have some self-discovery about what it means. There's no formulaic stuff about dream interpretation, although there's lots of books that are written like that. And in fact, the Talmud um, has a whole section on dreams. Um, and it's, it's fascinating, but its weakness is it's very formulaic. So if you dream of a snake, it means this. If you dream of an elephant, it means that. Um, but really, what Freud was, was helpful, and in that way, I think, aligns with the, the perspective that we take, you, you want it to be in a free associative process. In other words, for the person to discover for themselves through facilitation what that dream might mean to them. And I cannot, t I mean, the dreams that were presented last semester were, for some people, were life-changing. Um, I, 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 I always remember this one. I love this student. He's a physician. Who said, I, I've never, I'm coming to this dream class, but I don't, I don't have dreams. And of course, you know, within about six or seven classes, he had a dream. But he then said, it's such a mundane dream. It means nothing. <laughs> well, it was a transformational dream for him um, as he began to explore what it meant. But I want to share with you a transformational dream I had. The reason it's, it, uh, I remember, and it's, it's, sticks out for me was when I was in graduate school in psychology, um, a number of my colleagues and, and myself included went to formal psychoanalysis. And it's where you lay on the couch four or five days a week for years. Um, it's, it's not as prominent a, a, um, a, a therapeutic method nowadays, and it was not something that I adopted as a therapist, I found it actually to be a little stilted. However, the very first dream I had was in my first semester of graduate school. Um, I was in a classroom and I was, I was participating with taking a test. Many dreams bring us back to places like Oh, I'm having that dream again. I'm, I'm back in class again. We, we, this is not an uncommon dream theme. But what was interesting about this dream in particular was, and whether you're familiar with this or not, there's, there's a psychological test called the Rorschach, which has ink blots. There are 10 ink blots that are presented, and one gives responses to them. You know, the... The tester just asks, what do you see and why do you see that? What, what, what elements make up that, that, that uh, visual image that you're having? So I, as a very beginning graduate student, I was learning how to um, give the test and to score it. Well, in the dream, I'm presented along with all my classmates um, with an answer that someone has given, and we're, we're, our task is to score it. And the answer for this Rorschach was, 
in Hebrew. Ehyeh asher ehyeh. I will be who I will be. This is a phrase that God says to Moses at the beginning of Exodus, when Moses says, if I come to Pharaoh and the, and the Jewish people, who, you know, who's sending me? Who, who, you know, what's the name I'm to use to say that I am, I am a messenger of this God? What, 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 what do you go by? What name do you go by? So here I am sitting, taking this test, and I'm looking around at my fellow students, and I'm thinking, I don't think anybody here speaks Hebrew except for me. How are they even putting an answer down? But what was most striking was the, the, the student that was sitting right next to me was a, a man I, I, I had yet not known all that well, but his name was Judd Linville. Now, Judd was as culturally different from me as possible. And certainly, he could not possibly understand Hebrew. Um, he was coming from a very different um, culture and religious background. Okay. But he's sitting there writing an answer. And I'm thinking to myself, how is it possible that Judd has an answer to this? And I, I'm struggling. But I finally come up with an, a solution and I write, the way that I would score this is O to the third power. O stands for original response, exponential to the third power. And I woke up. I presented the dream to my analyst. Um, it was fairly transparent. Um, I was just starting graduate school. I was learning new things. And I was starting my psychoanalysis to understand myself better. So the fact that the test answer was, the, the, the test response was, I will be who I will be was really a message in, in a way that I was resonating in myself at that, at that time. Now, that's not the reason I'm telling you the story. <laughs> Here comes the story after the story. 22 years later, I go down to the mailbox in, uh, in the mailbox of the off of the office complex I'm in to take my mail out. And often there's junk mail there. And I usually just throw it out even before I leave the, the mail room. For some reason, there was a big envelope from American Express. Previous to this, I had thrown out countless junk mail from American Express. I don't I don't own the card. Um but for some reason, I was intrigued because of the size of the package to open it up to see, all right, what, what, are, they, what are they offering? And sure enough, it was an offer for an American Express card and with all these benefits and blah, 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 signed by the head of their marketing department, Judson C. Linville. My former classmate, the man who was sitting right next to me in the dream, the man who knew 
how to answer the question, I will be who I will be. Now, there's a famous statement in the Talmud that says, one should wait for 22 years for the resolution of a dream because that's how long Joseph's dreams took to be to come to fruition. Um, it was after 22 years that his brothers bowed down to him as the viceroy of, of Egypt. Well, I hope that this was a brief but interesting enough introduction to uh, the study of, of Kabbalah and dreams. Um, we teach all kinds of classes um, at Kabbalah Experience here in Denver. Our website, I think, Alex, you share that with them anyway in the chat, or, but it's KabbalahExperience.com. Kabbalah is spelled with two Bs. I will be teaching a class on dreams, um, also on the Hebrew alphabet. Those are the specialty classes. Then we have our regular classes. Um, and um, Alex, I will... You, you already have the presentation, so feel free to share that with folks. I've also included a bibliography, so you can take a look at that. If you're going to read one book on dreams and Kabbalah, I would suggest a book by a friend of mine uh, whose name is Roger Kamenetz. He's the author of The Jew and the Lotus. But since that book and, and later on, he became very interested in dream interpretation his teacher is the person who used to be the postal worker. Um, and they have a whole system. But in the book, it's and it's called A History of Last Night's Dream, he really integrates a lot of Jewish Kabbalistic teachings around dreams. And for your entertainment, um, Roger was on, on Oprah uh, in her, on her Soul series. And he describes a little more about his book, and he even interprets one of Oprah's dreams for her, uh, which is fascinating. Um, anyway, we have a couple more minutes. If we have any other questions or comments, I'm happy to listen to them. Go ahead. I, I just wanted to express my gratitude. It, it's quite overwhelming, but um, I'm glad that you started out talking about synchronicity and your dream, because that's a big part of my life. And um, recently, I've been getting some um, channeling. It's called the Judah channel. And this is what it was today. Enter into the realm of angels, the realm of source, the realm of miracles and possibilities. And as you sleep, allow our presence to rearrange, organize, galvanize, empower, and elevate your level of consciousness and everything about you. So thank you so much. Um, Bev, thank you. <laughs> um, all right. Any any last comments or questions? I think we have time for one more. I do see uh, Catherine has a hand up. We can try to take that one too. Sure, Catherine, yeah. go ahead. Uh, sir, 22 years after Herzl had that spiritual dream, um, he would have been 35. Uh, when did he die? And uh, and I'm just curious regarding what you said about yeah. 22 years in the Talmud for the mm -hmm. dream to become fruition. Did he have any um, 
realization that there would actually be a state. You know, it's interesting. So he he was born May 1860 and he died in 1904. I'm quickly going on Wikipedia. <laughs> um, but I'm just curious. Balfour Agreement. So, and so, he, that so, so he was so he was he was 13 in 1873. And no. in, in I was, yeah, he was 13 in 1873, so 22 years later, it would be 1895. All I can see here is that in 1897, Herzl convened the first Zionist contract, Congress in Basel, Switzerland. So um, give or take in a, a way, year, yeah. give or take a year or two, year, year or two, we're right in that 22-year window. <laughs> that's amazing no one that's has ever asked that no one's ever asked that question before so thank you so much, much thank you thank you uh, happy new year everyone bye bye happy new year to you to you all as well thank you and thank you alex and valley bait midrash for the opportunity well thank you so much for leading us in today's class it was a great uh learning opportunity for all of us and just want to let everyone know about our next program which will be january 11th at 1 p.m mountain time the healing power of storytelling with maggie jim brulee so hope you can all tune into that as well thanks everyone happy new year thanks for joining us for this episode of the valley bait midrash podcast remember that you can join our email list at valleybaitmidrash.org to stay up to date on new programs learning opportunities, and more ways to stay connected. If you enjoyed learning with us today, support our work by making a donation at valleybatemadrash.org slash donate. Join us next time as we continue to work together to build a better world. Thanks for listening.